With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello and welcome to the NUFC blogcast. After a weekend where we absolutely thrashed Crystal Palace, we're going to review that game and then we're going to preview the Dortmund match. Loads to talk about once again on the NUFC blogcast. Ollie, a great win. Four goals against a team that were supposedly defensively solid. Yeah, exactly. I think... I think it probably shows how far we've come that we were talking before the game that the last three meetings with Palace all last season, both in the league and in the cup, they were all nil-nil draws. So to come from never getting a goal against them in the last three games and also looking at the form they've been in, their last away game was a 1-0 win at Man United. I think they've kept clean sheets in their last three games prior to coming to Newcastle. And the fact we've not just beaten them, but sort of the game was over after 44 minutes, was it, when we went 3-0 up? I think I think it shows how far we've come in a way and just that we can sort of pick the momentum straight back up after the international break. I think one one kind of the international break came in a good time in some respects in terms of our injuries, but I was kind of just really hoping we'd get straight back to it in terms of our form, because obviously before the break, we were, aside from that late goal we conceded at West Ham, we were brilliant, weren't we? So I think to come straight back and put in that sort of performance, get that sort of win is uh, is perfect really going into Wednesday. So yeah, um, pretty much the perfect afternoon, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I think they were poor compared to what they normally are, but maybe that was because we were so good and just so dominant. I don't know. Um, yeah, just an incredible. Obviously, Guayhi or however you pronounce his name slipped for that long staff goal, and there was a couple of other errors they had. But we were just, we were just purring, weren't we? Yeah, I mean, that's. I mean, you're right. Guayhi did make the error for that goal, but when you think of some other chances we had, I mean, Gordon before he scored had that chance where Murphy goes past his man, dinks it to the back post, and. I was certain Gordon was going to score and obviously he hits the bar. So they got away with that one. There was Armoron clean through in the second half. There was, I think there was a chance in the first half for Wilson as well, who headed over from a, a trippy across. So I think it's one of those games where 4-0 definitely doesn't flatter us. And yes, getting that goal four minutes in is, is a perfect start for us and it gets gets our tails up and things like that. But I don't think that goal massively changed the, the outlook of the game or the result because I think you could just tell from minute one we were on it in that game and 
we never really we, they never really had an answer did they i know they've, they've got the likes of Eze and elise out so they didn't have those attacking threats they'd normally have but with that in mind i expected them to be even more sort of solid defensively and sit back and really frustrate us but we kind of unsettled that from the off and then they were in no position to sit back anymore because they were already a goal down so um so yeah it was perfect really and not not just the result but the fact that because we took that sort of uh 3-0 lead pretty early in the game and then obviously made it four we were able to make lots of subs sort of midway through the second half so the likes of Trippier got a bit of a rare rest obviously we were able to take Wilson off I think there was others as well who were able I think Bruno came off as well didn't he so it was it was nice that we kind of come out of that game not just with a really big win and a really good performance but we didn't really pick up any injuries I think we had so much of the ball that we didn't have much running to do um certain players got a rest which I know we've just had an international break but it, it's been pretty hectic the amount of games we've had then we've had players go away on international duty then we've got a game just against Palace followed by the Dortmund game so it's been pretty hectic so to have to have such a routine win and obviously a certain players getting rested towards the end was was perfect wasn't it it was perfect it was perfect as we like head on into this uh, midweek game against Dortmund that we'll talk about in a bit but who were the standout players the standout moments what what do we uh, need to kind of what do we need to start? talk yeah I know yeah go on I mean god yeah Fabian, go Fabian Schar I just from just before this podcast watch a video of all his passes in oh, the game yeah. his long-range passing and it was he was just exceptional you know what I, I don't know if you agree with this but I feel like people outside of Newcastle still don't appreciate how good he is I know, obviously, his consistency has gone to the next level, and that's the biggest thing. I feel like I still don't appreciate how good he is. (laughs) (laughs) Like, it's just, I've noticed, like, when he scored, I mean, this just might be lazy commentary, but when he scored that goal against PSG, the commentator was almost laughing at a centre-back, like, Shaw, how's a centre-back scored that that good a goal? He'll never do like that. He'll never do that again. And I'm thinking, that's kind of what Shaw does. It's like the fourth fourth one he's done for, scored for us. Yeah, but yeah, he was, I think we've always known that he's got it in him, Shaw, in terms of his ability, but the consistency and the regularity that he would ping a 40, 50 yard pass, bang on the money. I mean, obviously his pass for Trippier for the first goal was, was spot on before Trippier laid it into Murphy, but whether it was his passing and the amount of passes he got bang on and just suddenly created attacks from nowhere, or the way he'd carry the ball past a couple of players and commit men and then suddenly we were, we were free. So, and obviously that's not even mentioning his defending, which he makes look easy at the minute. He seems to, he used to have that streak in him where he used to commit a little bit too soon he used to be a little bit reckless this was maybe under the the Benitez Bruce era where he did have an error in him and he could be a little bit hot-headed but you don't see any of that now and and this is we've not even mentioned the fact that he's playing on the left now with Botman out so the way he's seamlessly just slotted into the other side of the left-sided role when he's normally playing on the right and he's still pinging passes he's still carrying the ball out of defense he's looking at the price we paid for him I don't think we've ever spent a better three million than that. I mean, he's got to be—he's got to be a contender for the best pound for pound signing we've made. Really, I think yeah. he's. Uh, so yeah, I think Shaw's an obvious one. I think, I mean, the, the main the main man really from the weekend's got to be Jacob Murphy. The way he's—it was yeah. a bit of a shock. I think that was the only, other than Botman, who obviously we now realise wasn't fit. I think he was the only surprise in terms of our predicted lineups and who who actually started, who we weren't expecting to start. Um, I think it was actually his first Premier League start of the season because prior to that, the only game he started was a weight Milan I think might be wrong but I think it might have been his first Premier League I think start. I think you're I think you're right yeah and obviously his um, first goal as well yeah exactly so like I mean he admitted himself it was a bit lucky his goal but he could have I mean goal aside he set up Gordon's goal the pass he made for Wilson to, to make it four was quality if De Bruyne is doing that there'd be there'd be videos everywhere going viral about how good the pass was so so yeah not just his goal which obviously kicked off the game in perfect style and we obviously got the 1-0 
got went one 0 up so early. But beyond that, his link up play with Longstaff and Trippier down that right hand side. He's crossing into the box, obviously for Gordon's goal, and then the the, the pass across the pitch for Wilson. He's just if you go through some of the players in the team who Eddie Howe's transformed, we we kind of we saw glimmers of how good Shaw could be. We knew Longstaff under Benitez had so much potential, but with someone like Murphy, I didn't really see it coming. And I think that's what's so impressive about that. I just if someone had told me. Jacob Murphy is going to be the man of the match in a 4-0 win for Newcastle, who are now in the Champions League. I, I couldn't have envisaged that a few years ago. And I think that's not just credit to Howe, but Murphy himself, that he's actually, I think, stayed patient behind the scenes. I think Eddie Howe always says what a good character he is. If he's if he's not picked, he'll he, he's, his attitude won't change. And he's always he's such a good team player. And when he's, he's just always it, smiling, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, he's, oh, he's such a character, isn't he? Like, there's, mm. he's just an... He's an, an absolute dream on social media, all the gifts that have come out from his celebrations and stuff. So, mm. so yeah, I was buzzing for him because obviously he's had to be patient. Um, and I guess in terms of players who've had to be patient, Jamal Lascelles is another, isn't he? I mean, once again, another game where Botman's not been able to play. And obviously we, we'd normally worry him. We said it a lot over the summer. I mean, I was always saying that I'm worried that Lascelles is the next in line if Botman or Shaw get injured. But it's another game where we've we've kept a clean sheet without Botman and Lascelles has been, been brilliant. So... So yeah, I think they're the main ones, but I mean, I thought Gordon as well, the way he'd, he's just causes absolute havoc, doesn't he? And, and I noticed as well how how effectively he would cut in. So obviously he tends to go down the line and, and go out wide, but the way he was cutting in and on his right foot and then spreading the play back to our right, and I think it, it's it's so difficult to know where he's going to go. And the fact he's two-footed, that creates such a problem for opposition defences because they don't know whether he's going to go down the left or cut in as he does. And I looked as well and he's... He started eight games in the Premier League this season and he's been involved in seven goals now. So that's that's some going, isn't it? That's including penalties he's won. But still, he's he's been he's, he's had a hand in seven goals in, in eight appearances this season. So so yeah, I don't know if there's anyone else for you that really stood out, but I think Well, I no, just yeah, no, just the team. I mean, as as you know, you you would have watched Match of the Day and, and seen those stats where we're just first in almost every single important attacking stat in terms of XG and XGI and all this sort of geeky stuff. We're, we're just number one on all of it. It's incredible. Yeah, I looked and I mean, for a start, oh, this this wasn't included in that list on Match of the Day, but no one's got a better goal difference than us this season. I think it's plus 15. I know that the Sheffield United game was massive towards that, but we have been very good. Given how tough the start was, obviously we had Brighton, Liverpool, Man City, all those games and, and Villa as well, which look how well they're playing now. I mean, Look at our first four games and, and look at the position we're in now. We've done really well. And but yeah, goals first. We've got 24 goals. No one ranks higher on that. Expected goals. I know some people don't like these expected goals stats, but they do show like the quality of your chances, not just the chances, but the quality of them. Uh top for shots inside the box on target, top for conversion rate, top top for big chances scored. So yeah, there's there's so many attacking stats where we're we're top in the Premier League, which again, when you think of how tough the start was. When you think of of all the fixtures we've had, because obviously this is just based on the Premier League, but we've also had to manage Champions League and the League Cup in between this. So, so yeah, I think it's we already know how solid we are at the back. I think last season only Man City uh, conceded less than us. So, to, to I think that's probably another sign of our progression, not just the fact we've battered a Palace side who we couldn't score against last season, but the fact we've built on what's been a really solid base and how good we are defensively, and also developed the attacking side of our game and 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 coming out top in all of these metrics I think it shows shows that next phase of our game that's really come on so that's really promising definitely very very positive um let's just have a word before we leave the palace game on the on obviously tenali he 
came on on this well 75th 80th minute something like that and uh got a rousing reception he, he got a, his first rousing reception when he when he was warming up wasn't didn't he and then the, the lap of honor at the end but I, I suppose we don't know what the band's going to be yet but it looks like everyone seemed to knew, to know he seemed to know eddie howe seemed to know that that was probably the last time he was going to play at st james's park for a little while yeah i mean it, it was nice wasn't it because i mean this i've seen some people on social media i mean there's always going to be this on social media saying why are Newcastle fans supporting a player who's done this? You should be annoyed with them. You should be this or that. You shouldn't be. You shouldn't be sort of put on a pedestal like some hero. But personally, I absolutely love the fact we're getting behind him because at the end of the day, what he's suffering with is an addiction and it's difficult. And I know there's valid arguments to say Ivan Tony didn't get this sort of response and there wasn't maybe as much sympathy there in terms of what we saw on social. Well, fine, media. yeah, but but that's not that's well, not our problem, is exactly, it? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. We're just we're we're dealing with this just like Newcastle do. Whether it's Eddie Howe and his style of man management, whether it's the players and the way they're sort of a band of brothers who always rally around each other, or the fans who immediately take new signings in like one of our own if they give the role and and get behind the team like 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 Tonali has. He's he's obviously had a bit a slightly up and down start. Generally, I think he's been good, but he's always given his all and. I think I think it's really important for us to do this, and I I think that that he was probably going into the game feeling a little bit anxious just because he he thought what sort of reaction are we going to get here? Are they going to boo because they've just paid fifty five million and immediately I might not be available for a year and a half or a year? And obviously we we know that was never going to happen, but he might have felt a little bit nervous of how he was going to be received. But to obviously, like you say, get that applause when he went down the touchline to warm up to to get the the roar and the Sandro Tonali chance when he came on, and then the big thing, yeah, like you say, was was that lap of that kind of lap of the pitch to do at the end of the game. And it was nice that the players kind of asked him to go in front and kind of get closer to the fans and, and really like lead the applause. And I think that was nice because not just because he probably won't be there for another year or so with his band, but just so he could kind of feel the love a little bit, which he obviously needs at the minute, given what he's going through. And yeah, I think obviously it's very sad and it, it almost felt a bit bittersweet saying, saying all of that because it's really nice and it was, it was brilliant well, emotional, but quite powerful scenes, I suppose. But it's it's just nice to see that the club get behind him so much so that he's, I guess, can feel a little bit better when he left St. James's Park on Saturday, thinking, well, I've got I've got the full support of my manager, my players and, and the fans. So, mm. so yeah, all we've, all we've got to hope for now is that the ban isn't too bad. I mean, there were some suggestions that it might be more like 18 months, and obviously because it was initially said about 12. But I, I, to be honest, there's no point in speculating until the, the sort of verdict comes out because... Who who knows exactly what it'll be, but uh, yeah, but yeah, I think it was a nice, Hopefully a nice send off for him. Hopefully, it's twelve months, not eighteen. We'll find out. Ah, uh, let's hope so. Let's hope so. Um, right, and yeah, I mean, eight. I think there was, I think, I think there was eight English players playing. And, yeah, so you know, yeah. New, Newcastle have the number. We're first on all these stats. We're winning games comfortably. We're keeping clean sheets. We're scoring goals, and yet, still. Only Callum Wilson and Trippier are getting into the England squad, and and Southgate wasn't watching. So I mean, this yeah, is I mean, kind of classic it, Northeast thing, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think we said a few podcasts ago that there was probably times under the I don't know the Bruce or the Benitez eras where we were probably clutching our straws a little bit when there was like, oh, John Joe Shelby needs to go to the World Cup. But on this occasion, we've got so many cases for England call-ups that are fully justified. I mean. Don't get me wrong. I think when they don't get called up, there's a in some respect, there's a sigh of relief that there's not a risk of injury and they get a break. Someone like Anthony Gordon, for example, or Sean Longstaff, we think, well, it would have been lovely for them on a personal level. And I personally think it's great for them if they would go away. But it's not always a bad thing from a selfish point of view that we don't have to worry about injuries. But 
But yeah, like you say, eight of the 11 players in the team on, on Saturday were English. All four goal scorers were English. I'm pretty sure Gareth Southgate wasn't there. And obviously this, as you say, comes after he ignored the likes of Longstaff, the likes of Gordon, even Nick Pope in the last international break. So, so yeah, I just wonder at what point is Gareth Southgate going to actually pick players based on how they're playing and not sort of like the brownie points that the likes of Calvin Phillips and Jordan Henderson seem to have without actually playing at, at either playing regularly or at a, at a top club. So, um, yeah, I guess from a selfish point of view, it's not, it's not, it's not our concern. They don't, they don't risk getting injured. But I just think they deserve this. There's going to have to come a point where the likes of Gordon or Longstaff, if they keep playing this well, surely they deserve a chance for England. And I, th- I do think particularly, particularly Gordon. Mm. Um, I mean, Longstaff's good, but we know Longstaff does a job, and we know he's slightly limited in what he can do. No one's claiming he's the most talented footballer of, of you know in history. Whereas Gordon has got everything to be you know, absolutely elite. Yeah. Uh, and I wouldn't say the same of Longstaff, although I, I, I still think Longstaff should be getting a, a look in, particularly because Henderson and <laughs> Cal- well, yeah. Calvin Phillips, he doesn't play football with. So, yeah. That's I think thing, that's the thing, isn't it? And I think with Longstaff, I mean, to be fair, we, all, we always say that he does the dirty work so well, he covers so much ground, but there's limitations there. But even on Saturday, I mean, there was a ball he played, the first time pass out to Murphy, which nearly set up another goal. I think Murphy got across and then Joel Ward just knocked it over the bar and out. But Longstaff actually showed a lot of ability as well. I mean, not just that first time pass I mentioned, but the way he finished his, his chance. But I do agree that there's not like Declan Rice levels of potential, let's just say, with Longstaff. But at the same time, when that pool of midfielders is quite limited and then features a, a Jordan Henderson who's now playing in Saudi Arabia, a Calvin Phillips who can't get a game at Man City, I guess it just feels like he deserves it. But um, but yeah, I, I know what you mean. Gordon, younger, and obviously the levels of potential there just just incredible aren't they so um so yeah if we were calling for jacob murphy to get a call up just because he's he's had one well he's not he's had more than one great game but obviously yeah that wouldn't make as much sense but there's just this case is there for why isn't nick pope there why isn't anthony gordon getting the call up for what he's done why the likes of phillips remaining ahead of longstaff in the pecking order i think it just seems to contradict himself a little bit uh, southgate when he talks about picking players based on on form, but then continues to pick those in areas of the squad who who aren't in form. So, but yeah, hopefully that'll change soon. But uh, as long as they keep performing for Newcastle and we keep winning games and going up the league table and doing well in the Champions League, then I guess that's all that matters, really. I just think hopefully, they des- yeah. deserve that recognition. Um, I think that um, if if it's the case that Longstaff keeps playing as well as he is for the rest of the season, Phillips keeps having no games and Henderson is still in Saudi, and yet to the Euros goes Henderson and Phillips, I'd be very annoyed. <laughs> and I think as well, um, this, I think the thing is as well, is we all know that if Longstaff doesn't get his chance soon, then he won't even be in the picture for the Euros. So if, if put it this way, if Southgate's going to consider a Gordon or a Longstaff, they have to be integrated now and be, be sort of at least getting a little taste as we build up. Because I think one thing Southgate seems to swear by is having a group that all know each other, that are all used to the, the dynamics there. And I don't see him calling someone up in say March next year and then taking them to the Euros. I feel like for them to have any chance, they need to be integrated a little bit now. But I, I just Southgate seems very reluctant to break up that group of of like of, of players. He he seems very like set on the, the group he wants. But but yeah, we'll have to see. But yeah, if, if Longstaff and Gordon in particular keep playing this well and if Nick Pope keeps managing to get all the clean sheets he is, then there's got to be an argument for all three. But but yeah, we'll have to see. At least it's it's not a bad problem to have, is it? 
Not bad at all. Um, right, let's. What was the poll of the week, Ollie? I genuinely haven't seen this. So, uh, what 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 did you ask our followers or NUFC blogs followers? So the poll of the week was Jamal Lascelles is out of contract at the end of the season. So basically, should Newcastle hand Jamal Lascelles a new deal? Oh, um, easy, definitely yes. Right. Well, see, I think this is an interesting one based on obviously there's recency bias, which we always mention because he's come into the side and done so well. Um. So yeah, it was a simple yes or no. Toon Poles said, let me just get the answer up that he sent this. Uh, Toon Poles said, bear with me a second. Yes, he went, I went for yes. Firstly, he's been excellent deputizing in Botman's absence, although he wouldn't be my first choice long-term as a backup option. He's, he's clearly a very important character around the club. You only have to listen to what Eddie Howe says to realize that. He won't be one of the club's biggest earners either, so I can't see any downside to retaining his services. So I, I, I genuinely think it, it, there is not a chance that we don't offer him a new one, unless he's asking for stupid like you know he's shown that he can work in our system and he's comfortable. Yeah. Um, he's he's a brilliant de- deputy to to right side of centre back. We obviously need uh, to le- well left yeah right side of centre back. So we yeah, obviously right. need another centre back still, but keep him for sure. He's shown uh, that he can do it. So I think I think the, the thing about this debate for me is if you'd said this four or five weeks ago, I think the response would have been he's been a great servant, but we need to sign a new right-sided centre-back. Obviously, over the summer, all the talk was who are we going to bring in to compete with Shaw and to eventually replace Shaw. So basically, I think it's not long until Shaw becomes the backup option. Obviously, he's getting a little bit older. So with that in mind, a few weeks ago, it would have been a new centre-back comes in either in January or next summer. Shaw maybe becomes the backup option or at least competes for his spot. And then that leaves Lascelles more like fourth, fifth choice. Obviously, I think it's still the case that we're going to bring in a right-sided centre-back. But I think the fact he's come in and done so well, mixed in with the fact even when he doesn't play, he's such a good leader, means that we'll value what he offers even if he's not playing. And I think a lot of it will come down to whether Lascelles is happy to take up that that backup role. Because I think, let's face it, he knows that when he's not fit, it's Shaw and Botman. And he'll also know it's not, not long until we bring in another centre-back. So... I think I think providing he like is happy to continue with that role he's had, then he would stay. And and I do agree the club I, would pro- probably offer him one. Yeah, I do. I just think you're right in that if we asked it five six weeks six weeks ago before he got on this the side, I think you're right to say we we would have gone mm, maybe not. You know we you know yada yada. But the, the things have changed since then. It's not like it's, it is recency bias, but we've seen him come into this new team and this new system, and he's been exceptional. Yeah. So I think what what was going through our heads five, six weeks ago is we were thinking Jamal Lascelles, oh, because the last time we saw him play really was like under Bruce or something. And we, so we're just, we're, we're imagining the Jamal Lascelles in a, in a team that's chaotic and not good at defending and yada, yada, yada. But Jamal Lascelles in a comfortable team with a good midfield in front of him, he's a really good player. So, and, he, and he's shown that now. So I think I it's think, a no-brainer. Yeah. If I was the club, I'd definitely offer him a new, new deal. Two, two, two-year extension or something. I think you're right, actually, because when you look back at it, when we, the, the takeover first happened and we were assessing the current squad, we would have looked at players like Longstaff, Murphy, Almiron, and said, and even maybe Dan Byrne a few months after we signed him and said that, well, hopefully hopefully they can do a job, but it won't be long until they're replaced because they won't be good enough. But actually, I'm not saying all of those players are going to be good enough in several years to come, but they've actually proven that in the sort of short to medium term, they've improved their game under Eddie Howe so much that they are good enough now for where we're at. So I think you're right. Lascelles has come in and he's now been given that that sort of test of, are you now good enough? Have you improved under Eddie Howe? And he hasn't stuck out like a sore thumb like I thought he might. I thought we'd look at him on the ball and think, oh, you just look a little bit too limited. You don't look like you quite fit in this team. And 
okay, he isn't quite Sven Botman or, or, or Shaw in terms of his ability on the ball, but he's actually looked more confident on the ball than he used to. And that, again, just shows what confidence does. So in the comments to this, there was a few interesting responses because there were some people saying, yeah, it's a no-brainer, not only for how good he's, he's, he's played recently when he stepped in, but also for his, his leadership and what he offers the club off the pitch. But then there was others saying, wait a second, we need to be more ruthless. We can't keep the likes of Dummett and Lascelles, et cetera, forever. But I think if you look at it, maybe there's an argument for someone like Dummett. Maybe he does have to go next season. The likes of Mankiw and Kraft have to go. But if you look at Lascelles in terms of how good he's been when he stepped in and how much he offers just off the pitch, there probably is justification to offer him another a new deal, even if we do sign another centre-back. So, so yeah, and the, and the results reflect that, really. So there was actually over 3,000 votes. It was quite a lot of voted on this one. 89% said yes, hand him a new deal, and 11% said no. So I'm guessing those in the no category just think are still in that mind space of about five, six weeks ago where they just didn't see him as being good enough and they just think we need better than that. But but uh, as I've said, there's so many who've come in now and and and, and proven how, how much better they can be under Eddie Howe. I mean, there's so many success stories in like Longstaff, Shaw, Almiron, Joe Linton. There's so many success stories there, but I think the latest two are, are Jacob Murphy and Jamal Lascelles who come in and where we would have feared for us if they had to step in and play in the Champions League. We're suddenly now thinking, well, their performance. So we, li- yeah, we, we live in a world with, with FFP as well. So if we can get Lascelles and he's good enough, sign him. Sign him on a dirt deal and we'll spend the money elsewhere. We can't just go, oh, let's just get rid of him and get someone else in. We've got other positions we still haven't filled because of FFP. So I just think... I mean- I think it'd be mad, mad to not renew his contract if he if he wants to. I still think the happy medium here is that Lascelles sticks around based on his leadership and the fact he, he's proven he can do well when he fills in. But I don't think Lascelles' form should make the club think, right, we don't need a right-sided centre-back now. Just like the fact Jacob Murphy and Amron have performed shouldn't make the club think that we don't need to sign a new right-winger to take us to the next level. But but the thing is, no, I don't think anyone's saying here that Lascelles is now good enough to play every week. Well, yeah, well, he, sorry, he has been, but... I think people are just saying he deserves a new deal. He's still a key member of the squad, whether that's filling in like he has or when he doesn't play what he offers behind the scenes. So, so yeah, plenty of people yeah. said yes, and I think that's justified, really. Yeah, no, I think... I th- yeah, I think... Look, obviously, in an ideal world, we get rid of him and we sign, you know, I don't know, the best two centre-backs in the world. But it's just, in in the position we are, I think I think, I think, think it's a no-brainer not to, not to give him a new deal, if he wants to, because he might want first team yeah, people and everything. that's it. But, you know, for him, it's perfect, because he's shown that he's still up to it. And there'll be a few clubs now, if he did become available, who go, oh, the cells, you see him in the, that run for Newcastle, he's, he's good. Well, that's um, true. Isn't it? And from an FFP perspective, we wouldn't have been able to sell the likes of even Jacob Murphy a few years ago. So I know... Now, if let's just say we have to make a sale and it's a Miguel Almiron or it's a Jacob Murphy to balance the books, a few years ago, they wouldn't have been interested there. Now, if the right cl- offer does come for one of those players and we have to sell to buy, let's just say for FFP reasons, suddenly we'll have takers for players that a few years ago you wouldn't have found a buyer for. So so there's positives in, in we, either way you look at it, really. For sure. Let's look at the Twitter questions. So thank you very much for your Twitter questions. Every week we ask for them on Twitter. So uh, make sure that you uh, send yours in. We've got the first one is from Davey R3 again. We do like your questions, Davey R3. After the summer, there was a lot of talk on which positions still needed to be strengthened. Consensus was centre-back and right wing. With the resurgence of Lascelles and the emergence of Minter, are these still the key areas to improve either in January or next summer or should we prioritise elsewhere? Mm. What do you think, Ollie? Um- I mean, that is a good question. And it kind of follows on nicely from what we've just said there with like Murphy and Lascelles emerging. I think to be fair, it makes you think we can probably get away with 
not being sort of hell-bent on sending a right winger or a centre-back at the minute. And maybe in light of t- the Tonali news, maybe we do need to focus, especially in January, on like a short-term fix for midfield. I mean, we've, when everyone's fit, we've still got Willock, Joe Linton, Bruno, Longstaff, Elliot Anderson can play in midfield. We've got we've got options, but when we have just spent fifty five million on Tonali, when we've we've obviously got so many fixtures, I think now the focus might have to be a midfielder. And in a way, because that might be now the focus, it's just as well actually that the likes of Murphy and Lascelles have stepped in because maybe with FFP in mind, we we wouldn't have the the funds to get a midfielder, a centre back, and a right winger in January. So I think maybe if I had to guess, the focus in the focus in January might now move to a midfielder potentially on loan or a loan to buy. And then in the summer, we might be in a position to assess, right, can we get someone to take us to the next level at centre-back to partner Botman or to compete with with Shaw? And then on the right, where, where are we at there as well? Um, so, yeah, I think, I don't know what you think, but I think the priority in January now might be a midfielder. And like I say, Murphy and Lascelles' emergence has kind of allowed for that a little bit more because they've proven what a good job they can do. Yeah, no, no, I think I agree. Um we, we, you know, we definitely, even with the emergence of Jamal Lascelles, as you said, we still need another centre back. Because uh, just, just imagine what happens if Lascelles gets injured now or Shah, <laughs> yeah, with Botman out, we're just done for. So I think, yeah, we definitely need another centre back, and we definitely need a still need a right winger. So and central midfield, yeah, we do need another body in there, particularly with Tenali. So yeah, I agree with everything and you I, said. I think as well in the in the situation we're in, we need we probably need a midfielder on loan to cover with Tenali because we're not going to go out and spend fifty million on Tenali's replacement when in potentially 12 months, Tonali's going to be back. So it, it's, a, it's a more of a, a tricky spot to fill in terms of getting the right player at the right price. But in January, a loan's far more likely, whereas getting our future partner for Sven Botman or our right winger who's going to have the sort of Anthony Gordon effect on the right, they're probably tougher deals to do in January because there's not many players available at the right price mid- midway through the season. So I wouldn't be surprised if a deal for a centre-back and a right winger gets kind of put on the back burner for the summer where it's an easier time to recruit. And obviously a loan deal, which is often easier in, in January, is pursued then. So I think it should fall into place fairly well. Fingers crossed. Good, good, good. good. Right, let's take a quick break and we'll come back and we will preview the Dortmund game. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. 
Welcome back. So, Ollie, back in the Champions League again. It still feels weird to say that, but we're playing Dortmund at home on Wednesday. Tell us what we need to know. Yeah, so obviously for anyone not going to the game, it, it sounds silly sort of staying when the game's on and how you can watch it, because obviously everyone would probably know this, but there's so many games in, in such a short period of time these days that so, suddenly a game can it's come It's worth up. a reminder, isn't it? Yeah, Yeah, you can suddenly think, oh, there's a game tonight, blooming heck. So, yeah, it's Wednesday night, so it's the it's an 8pm kickoff, obviously St. James's Park. It should be on TNT Sports, so what was BT Sports? So, yeah, for anyone, for anyone who can't get to the game, it's on TNT Sports, and yeah, it's Wednesday night. Brilliant. And uh, it is a, a big game, isn't it? It's a, it's a big game. It's it's tight. I mean, we're obviously top. Let me get it in front of me now. So what's the group looking like? So the group, yeah, we're top of the group, which again, it's 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 mad enough saying we're in the Champions League, but it's even more mental saying we're top of a group featuring PSG, AC Milan and Borussia Dortmund. But we are. So, so yeah, two games in, we're top on four points. PSG are second on three points. AC Milan are third on two points. And Dortmund are bottom on one. So they kind of need goes, to win, don't they? Exactly. Yeah, it's a massive game. I mean, it's not just it's not just arguably our most winnable, and I say winnable, it's a very tough game, but it's it's basically a massive chance for us to really I don't want to say take control, but really boost our chances of getting through this group of death. We usually mm. get it gets called because obviously after this Dortmund game, we've got like away at Dortmund, away at PSG, which are going to be really tough games. And mm. suddenly games where more like a point might seem like a brilliant result and a win maybe seems, hard, well, I say hard to believe. You never know what we're capable of. But you know what I mean? We we always said our home games are going to be huge in the Champions League. And I think this for me feels like one of those games where if we win, I feel like we're in such a strong position to qualify for the last 16, which again sounds crazy, but it's true. Um, mm. So yeah, I think this is just, it's a massive game for Dortmund too. Like you say, they're on one point. If you look at the landscape of the group, if we beat Dortmund, we go to seven points. They stay on one. If they beat us, we're both on four points with away, Dortmund away and PSG away to come. So I feel like this is one of those games where if we can win it, we're in a brilliant position. But if it goes the other way, the group's suddenly like really wide open again. Even a draw then, I know this sounds very pessimistic, but if we got a draw, that's still pretty good because it leaves Dortmund on two points and we'd move to five. Obviously, we want to win a home game, but a draw is not a disaster. I mean, it isn't, no, but I... I definitely think this is one of those games where, I mean, now I'm talking about a win on either way. It probably has cursed a draw. But yeah, I just think it's one of those games where a win would just feel absolutely massive. It's, we always said, win your home games and get get results on the road. And that's the way to get through these group stages. And obviously, we've got a point at AC Milan. We've battered PSG. And then we've got this chance as well. And although I think one thing that's worth mentioning is obviously our form in the league, the way we dismantled Palace. And the fact we batted PSG in our last home game in the Champions League has probably sent fans into this game feeling so confident to the point where they're almost, dare I say it, some people are expecting a win. Now, oh, I don't... we're entering this territory. This is so bad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, don't get but me it's wrong. True. I think... you're, you're, you're 100% right. You are. I, um, we, there'll I... be fans expecting a win against Dortmund. How mad is that? And obviously, this is not me speaking for every Newcastle fan because there'll be loads out there who realise how tough this game is obviously fully respect how good Dortmund are and the fact this is, again, another Champions League game at home to like a European heavyweight. So by no means is it a, a done thing that Newcastle beat them. But I just think it's, it's it's we've got to be careful. I really want the atmosphere to be to be brilliant again, like it was against PSG. I don't want people to go in here thinking, oh, we should beat these, look at their team. And they haven't got Haaland anymore. They haven't got Bellingham anymore. This is still a very good team. I mean, I was going to get onto this a little bit further down the podcast, but I looked at, Borussia Dortmund's results recently, they've had one defeat in their last 19 games and that came away to PSG in their, in their first game of the Champions League group phase. 
So one defeat in 19. They've won their last five games in the Bundesliga. They're unbeaten in eight in the, in the Bundesliga. So this is not me trying to scare fans off and say, oh, look how good Dortmund are, because we know how good Newcastle are. If Newcastle turn up, if the atmosphere is how it, how it should be, and well, how it will be, and we react to that, and it's a PSG-style performance, I'm still very confident we will we will beat them and we'll have too much for them. But I just don't want to go into this game thinking, oh, this isn't the Dortmund of old. Look at how good we are. We'll, we've batted PSG. We'll blow, we'll blow Dortmund away. I just, we, we know we've got it in us, but I still think the fans really need to turn up there and not feel like they're expecting a win because that never that never results to the right atmosphere at St. James's Park. So I'm sure it will all, like, I'm sure the atmosphere will be brilliant. I just, I've seen a few, a few on social media kind of going into this as if, God, is that Dortmund's team these days? Oh, we should blow them away. And it's just, I always think that attitude going into the game is a little bit of a dangerous one because you know for a fact Eddie Howe and them won't be, won't be underestimating it. And I just, I just wouldn't want fans to either. Yeah, no, true. No, true. Um, injuries, talk about it. So we've learned about Botman. He's worse than we thought, right? Yeah, so that was a bit of a disappointing one because I know before the Palace game when me and you were predicting the team, based on Eddie Howe's comments ahead of Palace, it sounded like Botman had a chance because he said he'd, he'd, he'd sort of done well over the international break. Eddie Howe didn't say whether he trained or not. He just said he's he's progressing well. And obviously, as you mentioned there, after the Palace game, Eddie Howe said he's a little bit further back in, he, in his sort of uh, recovery than than people maybe expected. He hasn't trained yet. He said we're hoping to increase his, his load over the next few few days, but he said he won't be around for a couple of weeks. So Botman's essentially out of this game. And to be honest with you, might not play again until the next international break in mid-November. So that is a shame, but obviously, again, with with the formless cells has just shown, at least we've got some confidence there that he can step in. So, yeah, it's a shame with Botman. He's definitely out. Joe Willock's back in training, but from what Eddie Howe said, he, he might need to be eased in gradually. And I think there was even kind of a hint that he might play for the under-21s or get a little bit of a run out behind the scenes, maybe in a sort of behind-the-scenes friendly or something like that before he actually plays again in the first team. So Joe Willock's out, Botman's out. But the good news, as I said, is we didn't pick up any injuries against Palace, or at least we're not aware of picking up any injuries. I know Eddie Howe will speak to the press on Tuesday morning, so we'll find out more then. But Eddie Howe never says the truth to the press before a game anyway. <laughs> well, I was going to say this. It, it, to be honest, I used to always say, oh, it would be good to do these podcasts once Eddie Howe said his piece, because then we'll know more. But actually, we might know even less when, when Eddie Howe's spoken, because he might just confuse us even more. But yeah, exactly. I guess the good news is, as I said, there were several players who were able to come off early against Palace, have a bit of a rest. The good news as well on uh, Saturday was the fact Isaac was on the bench. He came on, he looked fine. So I think any concerns about Isaac's groin, which kept him out of the Sweden squad over the international break of, of being eased, he seems okay. So so yeah, I think essentially, aside from Botman, aside from Joe Willock, we should be we should be okay, fingers crossed. Yeah. Yeah, you'd hope so. And we should be able to put out a decent side against Dortmund at home. That's going to be good. Um let me just bring up the next thing. So, predicted 11s. This is a bit tricky at the moment because we obviously both thought Miguel Almiron was going to start last week, but maybe he was saved for this game? Yeah, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because if the plan was to save Almiron for this game, Murphy's just played so well that Howe will be wondering, like, really, who does he go with? Because, like I say, Murphy, in a performance full of eight nines out of tens on Saturday, Murphy was the best player on the pitch. And when he's playing with that sort of confidence, do you dare take him out of the team? So... Yeah, predicted 11. I mean, I think in a lot of places it picks itself. Nick Pope, obviously Kieran Trippier. Again, Lascelles and Char will be the centre-backs with Botman out. Dan Byrne at left-back. Joe Linton obviously came back from injury on Saturday and then and, and played. I think he was taken off towards the end. Uh, so we got a little bit of a rest. But 
there's an argument to say Joe Linton won't play twice in three, four days, but I think he's so important to us and he's such a machine physically that he'll he'll play again. I mean, he's I think am I right in saying he hasn't played for us yet in the Champions League because of his injuries. I think he missed I think he missed the AC Milan game. Uh, uh, it was, Ten- it was Tonali, yes, Bruno so. and Longstaff yeah. that day and then he missed yeah. PSG with an injury so he'll be desperate to be playing in the Champions League again for us he deserves it and he'll be fit enough I'm sure so I think the midfield again picks itself Joe Linton Bruno Longstaff Gordon walks into the team obviously with Barnes out it's a given that he plays can I just, can I just pause you there Ollie, and say if Tonali's thing hasn't come in by then like if he if we hear about it today ah. it doesn't come in till might he play I mean that is a good point I mean I, I don't know. I don't know whether it's instant. I don't know whether it's like literally your band done. I mean, it's. I think it's worth saying that there's a lot of reports coming out today that the plea bargain and the the whole sort of investigation over in Italy is close to being concluded to the point where I'm sure his band's going to come out either today or tomorrow based on what I'm reading. But you're right that if it doesn't get decided by then, he will be still eligible to play. The only thing I would say is we've mentioned there that Joe Linton hasn't played yet, and he's so fit that he should be able to go again. I think Longstaff and Bruno are so important to the team that they're almost one of the first names on the team sheet now. So if you're factoring in all of that mixed in with is Tonali in a position in, in terms of his headspace, is he... I mean, I think he is fine to play, actually, because he seemed to have no problem... Eddie Howe seemed to have no problem playing him at the weekend. And mm. obviously he wants to play while he can. But I just think, firstly, I think he'll be banned by then, unfortunately. But even even if he isn't, I just think it'll be Joe Linton, Bruno and Longstaff, I think. But that is a good point. We'll have to see yeah. whether it's... Uh, I don't. Done by then. But yeah, I think then it's Gordon, obviously, definitely on the left. I think it's fair to say because Isaac got a rest against, well, he didn't start against Palace and came on at the end. I think it's fair to say Isaac comes in up top and he'll be obviously playing his former club as well. I think his first move to any of Europe's top leagues was a move from AIK in Sweden to Dortmund when he was probably 17, 18. So people forget that Isaac played for Dortmund, but that was kind of his first big move. So he'll be playing against his former club. And then, yeah, the big one is does Almiron come back into the team? Or does Howe stick with Murphy after he played so well on Saturday? I think that's the tough one. But I think I'm going to go with Almiron on the basis that I think Howe will have started Murphy to protect Almiron after he was away with Paraguay on international duty. But he probably also had a plan to start Almiron against against Dortmund. And I think it's worth mentioning as well, Almiron's been in such good form recently. He's obviously scored against Sheffield United. He scored against uh, Burnley in the uh, Champions League. He scored against PSG. So he's actually been scoring a couple of goals recently, Amron, and getting back into some decent form. So, yes, Murphy was brilliant, but I just think, I think Amron will come back in. So that would be my team. Okay. Yeah, no, I mean, for me, back five picks itself. The midfield picks itself, as you said, if we're just going to assume Tonali's going to be banned. But if he is fit, I think he probably plays instead of... Um... Maybe Joe Linton, if 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 Joe Linton, you know, is 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 just come back from injury and can't make it. I don't know, one of those. And then yeah. the front three will be Isak, uh, Gordon, and Miggy. Yeah, yeah. There we go. We'll find out. We'll find out soon enough. It's not long now. Uh, Dortmund. Are, are Dortmund doing well at the moment? Have, you know, how are they doing? Are they? They're not top of Bundesliga, are they? I don't think they are. I don't think they're doing no, I mean, well, are they? I mean, I was going to save these stats. Like I said, I mentioned them earlier about the whole one defeat in 19 games, and that was against PSG. So they're definitely they're definitely in form. And that, like I said, kind of makes a mockery of the minority of Newcastle fans on social media acting like this is an awful Dortmund team. Yes, they haven't got Haaland. Yes, they haven't got Bellingham. And obviously back then, they, they really were a bit more of a force. But they've still got a lot of good players, and they've still, they're still doing well. They're unbeaten in the Bundesliga. They're four, I think they, they went top with a win on Friday. I think they beat... 
Why was it they beat? I'm not an expert in the Bundesliga, but I know they they won one nil on Friday, um, and that sent them top before then Bayer Leverkusen and, and Bayern Munich won. So I think they might be third or fourth now. But but yeah, they, they've won six and drawn two of their first eight Bundesliga games in the Champions League so far. They started with a two nil defeat away to PSG, and then it was a nil nil draw away to Milan. So they haven't actually scored yet in the in the Champions League, and obviously it's a it's a pressure game for them. They've obviously had one one day more to prepare with them playing on Friday night and us playing on Saturday, but the yeah. game's Wednesday, so I'm not too concerned about that. They've actually so. won, yeah, they've won their last five league games, so they are in good yeah. form. Yeah, that's um, it. So they, I mean, we we know Eddie Howe and the players won't underestimate them, but I just, yeah, it's one of those games with with our form being so good in the league and Champions League going into it, and there's been this kind of narrative a little bit online that oh, this isn't this isn't a Dortmund team of old; they're not really that good. Well. It might not be as quite as good as they were with Haaland and Bellingham, but their their results suggest they're still putting in a lot of good performances and and getting getting the getting the wins. So, so yeah, they're not to be underestimated. Definitely not. Well, let's see. I mean, PSG were in good form and they came to Jizz Park and were absolutely battered. So there you go. Score prediction, Ollie. Ooh, score prediction. I'm gonna go for. I'm gonna go for two one Newcastle. I'm gonna go three nil Newcastle. Well, you always back the clean sheet. I need, I need to be a bit more confident in our defence. I mean, I think I always just wonder, is this going to be the game where we, we don't get another clean sheet? But I think we've got six six clean sheets in our last eight games in all competitions. So Jamal Lascelles, The Rock, will, uh, will you know, quieten Dortmund. Dortmund, the city of Dortmund will be silent on Wednesday evening. I've had a little look at the predicted Dortmund team. There's a, a German newspaper called Kicker who've put their predicted Dortmund team out. And I think it's... It's interesting to have a look at the sort of players they have because for a lot of people, they've obviously we just watch the Premier League a lot of the time. We don't really, we're not really aware of the starting lineups of some of these teams out in Europe, even if they're sort of big clubs like Dortmund or Milan. But the predicted lineup is Kobel in goal, is a left back. I think he's Algerian called Benson Biani. He's meant to be very good, but I, I probably butchered the pronunciation of his name there. They're expecting the centre backs to be Schlotterbeck and Hummels. So they're two like German internationals. I'm sure most will know them. Ryerson at right back. The midfield, Emre Chan. Do you remember him at Liverpool? He's expected to start. Of course, yeah. And then next to him, again, I'm not sure if I'm pronounce this right, but Felix Nemeka, Nemecha. Mm-hmm. We were linked with him when he was at Wolfsburg I before remember, he actually I remember joined. You, you've, you've said his name before. Yeah, well, I've tried to. Um, <laughs> yeah, so he's he's in midfield apparently alongside Emre Chan. But another thing to mention is, Giovanni Reyna, he's a USA international. He's been injured for quite a, a lot of this season. I think he actually only came back on Friday night in that 1-0 win they had, came off the bench. And Reyna's, there's some talk, I, I just searched Dortmund on Twitter there, and there's some talk that he could come back into the team. Do you know where he Wednesday. was born? Was it Sunderland? Yeah. Yeah, well, we need to get into him. Claudio Reyna played at Sunderland when uh, when he was born, and he was born in Sunderland, so we better batter him. Yeah, we need to get the Mackham chance out as soon as he comes onto the pitch. Yeah. Remind him. So yeah, there's the he could be someone who comes in. Um Julian Brandt, another German international. I think he scored the winner on Friday. He he could probably start out wide. They've also got Marco Royce, who is getting on a bit now, but he's still I think he's still performing. They've got um Daniel Marlin, the Dutch Dutch sort of forward who tends to play yeah. out wide. Then they've got Nicholas Fulkrug, who I think's an slightly older German striker now, but I think he scored like Sounds a bit sad that I know this, but I had a little look before the episode. But I think he scored about three in his last four games, so he's okay. fairly informed. So yeah, there's it's not a sort of peak top level Dortmund side of the years gone by, but it's still a very good team. So and they're in form as well. So so yeah, it's going to be another tough test. But if we win, you've really got to fancy us. We'll, we'll be six points clear of them if we win. And when we win, 
that's the, that's more like it yeah <laughs> right brilliant let's end uh today's podcast as we normally do with fyi man and i'm testing you ollie this week so the dramatic music will go here now you ready i'm ready play along at home everyone okay newcastle dortmund oh i like it osasuna Real Sociedad. Oh, I've got it. When 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 you said Newcastle and Dortmund, I thought, well, there's a fairly small pool of players here. And as soon as you mentioned a Spanish team, I thought, he's either trying to throw me off here or I'm on the right track. Well, if you're playing at home, then, you know, this is obviously a theme. It's just as much for you at home. This is a themed one with Newcastle and Dortmund. Osasuna, Sociedad. Um, I thought Oli might get it quite quickly, but if you're playing along at home, press pause and try and work it out and then come back. But the answer, Oli, is... Mikel Marino. Marino, who is still only 27, he's still at Sociedad. And we bought him from Dortmund. I've seen a few in in a few group chats. I mean, when people have been talking about Tonali and who we can sign to to fill the void, and I've seen a few people say, "I'd love to bring Mikel Marino back." And he was good. He was quite. He was a. He was just a tidy player. He's silky, Um, isn't he? Really silky. And then he just wanted to go. He just wanted to go home, didn't he? He wanted to go back to Spain or something. I think so. We didn't didn't get rid of him because he was rubbish. He just he seemed to want to go. It was a bit bizarre, wasn't it? Because he seemed to like. Whenever he did an interview, and he seemed to really sort of talk about how much he loved Newcastle and how much he, the people and the city and everything, he seemed like settled from the outside looking in. But then I think he got a back injury towards the end of his like last season here, when he was struggling with form and wasn't getting in the team as much because of his niggling injury. And then suddenly, yeah, it was there's a release clause in his contract. He wants to go back to Spain, and and that was it. And yeah, it was a bit of a shame how it panned out. But yeah, I'd love to have him back. Yeah, well, we take him. Thank you very much, everyone. If you're going to the game on uh, on Wednesday against Dortmund, enjoy yourself. Um, look forward to the inevitable win and the battering of another oh, European no. giant. Oh, and uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, no, yeah, we'll be back to review the game on Thursday or Friday, uh, as we normally are. Please five star and like this and write a review and everything. Post it on Twitter. Thank you very much for listening. Ooh. And we'll see you in a few days. Ed, I've just remembered. I, yeah. I said that I would announce the winner of our shirt giveaway on the podcast. Oh, well remembered. Go on then. So we've been running a giveaway on, on Twitter for a shirt, basically any of the new shirts of your choice. And I did the draw last night and the winner is Sally Lister. So okay. Sally Lister, I'm going to message on Twitter and announce that she's won. Um, so yeah, so congrats to Sally and thanks to everyone who's entered. I think we're going to do another giveaway on Twitter this week. Actually, we've got a, a really nice bit of artwork at St. James's Park artwork that we've got as a giveaway. So, so yeah, we're always doing competitions on Twitter if you want to go over there follow and obviously enter um but yeah congrats to sally congrats sally right see you later in the week everyone goodbye goodbye It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? 
I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At ChumbaCasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.